Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, as Ghana's finance minister jets off to China to make a deal as part of the domestic, the foreign debt exchange program, we ask if Ghana's biggest bilateral creditor will meet us halfway. Also coming up, caught in Accra, sentences... Five Western Togoland activists to prison. We'll be hearing more on what transpired. And later on Eyewitness News, we take you to the Ashanti region, the new KTR market, which has been in the news the whole of last week and this week. The traders there are asking for the dismissal of the managing director of the facility as well as a board chair following the fire incident. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Gutain talks with insurance companies to provide affordable insurance policies for their members after the KJTR market fire incident. That's in 15 minutes with Nashika Caesar bringing us the latest from the world of business from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. We are around the globe on citynewsroom.com. We are on YouTube, we are on Facebook. You can listen to us on TuneIn, and we're also on DSTV. If you're traveling to any part of the country and wondering how to listen to us, let me share a list of media houses that carry eyewitness news for you. If you're going to the Upper West Region, do tune into Bugley Radio 88.6 FM in Wa. If you're going to the Upper East Region, do make time uh, with eyewitness news on Word FM 88.3 in Zuarungu. In the Northern Region, you can catch eyewitness news on Dasuma FM 99.1 in Yendi. In the Volta region, Eyewitness News is on Holy 98.5 FM in Aflau. In the Eastern region, on Right 90.1 FM in Somanya. In the Ashanti region, we are on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. If you're headed for the Bono region, look out for Greener FM 95.9 in Sunyani. In the Western region, we are on multiple stations, including Premier 100.5 FM, Beach 105.5 FM, and Sky Power 93.5 FM. All these are in the regional capital, Takradi. Let us know what you make of the stories we are bringing you. The WhatsApp number is 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom and the world will hear what you think. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the government has ruled out what it has termed as a successful domestic debt exchange program. The next challenge is the external debt exchange program. Now, this is all part of the program that the government is seeking to have with the International Monetary Fund, IMF. We're told our finance minister has traveled out of the country to do some business in relation to that. Nashika has a story. 
A Deputy Minister of Finance, Abinal Seyasari, has expressed optimism of a fruitful discussion between the Finance Minister, Ken Oforiata, and China on negotiations for debt restructuring. Ken Oforiata, who left Accra for China yesterday with a government delegation, is expected to continue bilateral talks with China, as well as seek financial assurances for Ghana's program with the International Monetary Fund. Speaking at the signing ceremony between the National Health Insurance Authority Authority and United States Agency for International Development USAID in Accra, Abinose Asari once again called on Ghana's bilateral partners, such as the United States Agency for International Development, to support the government to establish the Ghana Financial Stability Fund as part of efforts to build back the economy. It is important to indicate that government has initiated some steps to set up our 1.5 billion Ghana Financial Stability Fund to provide liquidity and solvency support to adversely affected financial institutions that participated fully in the domestic um, exchange program. And so with this, we are encouraging our bilateral partners, including the World Bank, the AFDB, the EU, and all of you, as well as uh, the USA to support the government to establish this fund. And we look forward to receiving some positive feedback from you. The World Bank has already committed about 300 million and we expect our bilateral partners, including the USA, to also support us in this, to help bring back um, the robustness that our economy had and also to support our financial institutions. On the external debt, we have formally requested from our bilateral creditors um, a debt treatment under the G20 Common Framework for debt treatments beyond uh, the Common Framework that we have, and we've had subsequent uh, engagements with them. As I speak uh, with you now, the minister is on his way to China, and we believe that uh, there's going to be some fruitful discussions which will result in positive outcomes uh, for the external debt as well. You heard Abina Oseyasari, who is a deputy finance minister. Well, so the issue of China is very important. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were told that uh, Ghana had been uh, begging other countries to talk to China so that uh, they would um, meet us halfway in the external debt exchange program. Last week, uh, on Friday to be specific, I called up the member of parliament for Bulga Central, Isaac Adongo, and spoke to him about this quagmire that china has placed us in he had this to say about the situation with china listen uh, it's been difficult to get china to come to the table and china is our biggest bilateral lender so uh, until we're able to address that but the complexity of the china situation is that uh, there's some bit of geopolitics involved where china does not see the paris club uh, as anything other than a Western influence, and would always want to have its own arrangement with individual countries. Unfortunately for us, we have arrived at China at a time where there are a number of African countries that are already queuing up before we came. Uh, Niger is already there, uh, there, Ethiopia is there, Zambia is there. So it will be difficult for Ghana to jump that queue, uh, because whatever China agrees with Ghana, it has to be fair to the other countries that we came to meet. And yet, the the framework is suffering because China would want to do it at our own, its own terms. And China traditionally does not believe that a sovereign country can be poor. They do believe that a sovereign country can be broke like we are broke, 
but we are not poor because we have assets and other means at which they can collect their money. So that's Isaac Adongo, he's um, deputy ranking on the Finance Committee of Parliament and NDC MP for Bolga Central. So the issue has to do with China and whether China uh, will really give us what we want. Our finance minister, Ken Ofuriata, uh, jet off to China. Let me just give you that story quickly before um, we do the interview that we have scheduled next. And it has to do with Ken Ofuriata, the finance minister. He left on Monday with a government delegation and he's expected to continue bilateral talks with China as well as seek financial assurances for Ghana's program with the International Monetary Fund. Now, we are told that um, China uh, China is Ghana's biggest bilateral creditor with about $1.7 billion of the debt. A Chinese delegation visited Ghana this month for initial debt talks, which the finance ministry said were cordial and fruitful. So let's understand how China operates in the mix of things. Earlier, we were told that China said it needed some time to finish with the Communist Party convention. That has since happened. Xi Jinping has been given another mandate to be at the helm of affairs for the party and also for the country. But what seems to be causing the stagnation? We've called up Dr. Lloyd Amwa. Now, Dr. Lloyd Amwa is a director at the Center for Asian Studies at the University of Ghana. And he also understands China or, well, Afro-China relations more than many in this part of the world. So we've called him up to just have an understanding of what the situation looks like and what we could come up with or come home with. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Imoru. My pleasure. It's been a long time. How have you been doing? Yes, I've been at work uh, doing my academic uh, research, teaching, traveling the world, writing books, and the rest of them. So... I've been mm. caught up in, in my own professional life and, 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 you know, family life and the rest of that. Yes. Did any of the travels take you to China in recent times? Because yes, China appears Shanghai. to be your favorite destination. I was in Shanghai about about 18 months ago. Um, yes. There was a major um, expo, World Expo, or that looked at China's uh, attempt to more or less continue to strengthen its exports especially at the level of high-tech uh, stuff, you know. So, uh, of course, um, yeah, I've been watching China closely. And, uh, of course, the Asian continent, Korea, Japan, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Laos, and the rest of them, yeah. All right, now we are in a financial fix, and we are asking everybody to help us. Locally, we have done haircuts. I don't know if that has affected you or not. Now we want <laughs> we want our bilateral partners to also accept a haircut from us. China appears to be the stubborn one amongst the league, we are told. Our finance minister has gone there hoping for discussions that will lead to um, China meeting us halfway. You understand how that country operates. People are saying that China is not going to give us any CD, I mean any yuan, uh, for free. I spoke to Isaac Adongo last week. He suggested that no, China is not just going to give us anything we want on a silver platter. Is that really how they're going to treat us? Are they going to squeeze us or they may be considerate? How, what's your reading of the situation? Well, I mean, there's a famous quote from, from a Western thinker many, many years ago, and I'm guided by that sentiment. He said that 
the Chinese mind is inscrutable. Um, in other words, it's it's complex to try to read the Chinese mind and to be certain about it. But what we must understand fundamentally is that the China of the 1960s, that essentially uh, President Kwame Nkrumah engaged um, through the likes of Zhou Enlai, Mao, Chen Yi, uh, Bo Yibo, and the rest of them, is fundamentally in many ways different from the China of today. That is trying fundamentally to be a world power, in fact, if not the sole world power, at least one of the major ones uh, uh, of the two, if you like. So China is essentially building itself to rival the United States. Now, within that mix, within that context, issues at the local level, at the level of the Chinese nation, uh, party state, uh, in terms of its policy, are uh, engaging it uh, very deeply. And as you rightly stated, the National People's Congress just ended. Uh, and this is held every five years. And major decisions were taken, among which was the fact that Xi Jinping, the, 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 the president of China and leader of the Chinese Communist Party, has an unprecedented term. Now, linked to that, there have been major policy shifts, of which at the core is the uh, attempt by China to more or less deepen its high technology capacity. Um, I mean, the U.S. recently passed the law uh, in Congress, the, the, chips, the chips law, you know, that essentially is putting the, 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 the I should call the news on exporting especially uh, uh, microchips uh, uh, to China. Uh, Japan as well is, 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 is you know, tightening the free flow of these chips. Don't forget, there are two kinds of chips. We have the logic, logic, logic chips and the memory chips. The logic chips are the key ones. And China is still kind of, in many ways, trying to build its own foundry for these kinds of things. You know? But at the last Congress, China essentially is putting a lot of uh, emphasis on its ministry of, of, of uh, science and technology to begin to send more money to these areas so that China will begin to build its own chips uh, and that sort of thing. The banking sector also in China is facing more uh, new regulatory measures because of the possible threats that the loans that have been given given out for real estate might not there might be defaults in that and it might affect the 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 the, the, the China economy again. China has come up with what is called a new uh, data uh, 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 bureau, a national data bureau. So China is fundamentally concerned with its own uh, internal policies that will ensure that. It, by 2050 becomes the kind of, of, of tech power that it seeks to become. So it is within this mix that this Ghana question comes up. And really, it's, it's, it's complicated. I mean, what is the strategic value of, of Ghana to, to China? These are big questions. Um, China, would it, you know, want to simply allow Ghana to get away with paying back loans that we own them we owe them uh, how does that play out what, what what does china benefit from that 
um, the, the, the strategies that John and I, which is the, the center of power in Beijing, how did they see this Ghana? Don't forget that in West Africa, from 19, if you look at the data, from 1956 to about 2014, Ghana has remained one of the leading countries that China has supported. Uh, and and the, to think that, you know, over that long duration, it doesn't seem that Ghana has turned the corner, might be in many ways a headache for, for, for the Chinese. You know, so uh, these are big questions that, that, that will play out as we go begging fundamentally. Uh, and as I said, China is now playing with the big boys. Um, and, and whether altruism, whether you know, having pity on this West African country that has not done too well, uh, would be for it the way to go. Uh, the fact that it supported Ghana, you know, very much over the last 40, 50 years, and all of that are questions that will be on the chessboard. I see. But are we relevant, though, in the scheme of things for China? Do they even look our way? Do we matter to them? That's, a, that's an excellent and worrying question. I think that, well, over the period, Ghana-China relations have been sought. Um, you know, sought in many ways by the Galamse problem, which I do not think the Ghanaian authorities have handled too well. It has implicated the Chinese, or at least Chinese nationals, and this has kind of muddied the waters. Um, but, of course, Ghana is an important country in West Africa, an important historical country in, in, in Africa generally, and so that might play into the, 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 the economic cards, the financial cards, that are on the table, but uh, it's, 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 it's hard to say uh, that things would necessarily tip into uh, uh, our favor easily. Um, that then means that what it is that the finance team is able to sell to the Chinese would really, really count. Um, and, and they certainly should have their, their, their game pump prime if they want you, they want the Chinese to listen to us and, and essentially restructure the debts that, that we owe them. So it, it, it's dicey and, and complicated. And, and, and uh, I don't, I, 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 reading this is really, really tough because as I, as I keep saying, China now is operating in a, in a particular stratosphere that, that, that does not really bring Ghana into focus that, that much. Uh, it's, it's trying to play the, the superpower. And what are these West African countries that have not been able to turn the corner? It really matters that much to see in things, calculations. It's, it's, it's a matter that is up in the air. I see. We have a history with China. And I must say that history doesn't really look good when it comes to money matters. You remember under the Mills government, the CBD loan. Yeah. yeah, that that was that was very fleeting, wasn't it? Uh, currently, in fact, currently this government also has a deal with China, the Sino Hydro. The Sino Hydro, yeah. That is also yeah. a bit, 
you know, uncertain. So it appears that it's a wishy-washy situation. And do you reckon that with this cap in hands that we have gone to China with, as finance minister has gone to do for us, he may return with something that is uncertain. That's how it looks like. And that would actually even then throw our whole external debt uh, restructuring into off gear and that would ultimately affect our, our IMF program. Yeah, so so the, the finance minister's work is cut out. I mean, the CDD loan actually was supposed to be 13 billion that uh, Mills was was almost going to get and we we bundled that. Um, and then there were issues, of course, with Atuable uh, building that with part of the three billion that we got. There were problems. We didn't look at our laws, and the regulations on, 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 on laws around that. So we have to go back to parliament. The final hydro deal is also out there. It is not clear. When you read the literature, it's, it's not, I mean, it's a very, it's an arrangement that is, that is um, confounding in, in some senses because when it comes to the issue of, 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 of the bauxite, um, it's supposed to be the Ghana side that handles that. Even though, you know, the, the, the final hydro aspect is bringing money to us. And then we actually would, on our side, deal with the bauxite and all of that. You know, so when you look at the literature, there's, there are questions hanging around that. So the record in terms of our finances and the Chinese uh, is it, not too good. I mean, in any case, they have, they have written off some of our debts during the Kuvu era. They wrote off a substantial part of, of our debt. But at the know. time, our situation was not, at the time, we're not a middle-income country. We were a lower-income country, so we qualified yeah, for exactly. HIPIC. Now, exactly. it's, it's like we are a big boy who is poor. Yeah, so now we are on our own, and, and we are supposed to be taking commercial loans and, uh, or loans on the international uh, uh, finance market, especially on the on the euro uh, uh, market. You know, so and don't forget, the Chinese themselves went through this this complication. But the point was that whenever they took loans from the World Bank, for example, they took loans from the Japanese, they paid back on time, um, and so there's a certain moral hazard. Or for the Ghanaians, uh, where is the discipline that they, the Chinese uh, themselves, have to display to get to where they are? Um, and, and so th they are hanging question marks over the management of the Ghanaian economy over over the, you know the, the last few decades. And this certainly will play out in the thinking of the Chinese, who Ghanaians generally who take these things into account. I think that. Well, given the dire situation in which we are, with the IMS program, uh, you know, um, hiring us and, and, and on our tail, uh, I think the Chinese might want to be a bit sympathetic to our complexities and, and try to find a way out. But it's not going to be easy. We are going to really swallow some very bitter, difficult pill that would pierce our, our, our throats for sure. They are not going to let us get off easily. There's going to be some pain, as I see it, given the way the Chinese think, uh, uh, in my view and in my understanding of that particular territory. It's not, it's not going to be easy for us at all. And, and so 
we can only keep our fingers crossed to see how history, the realities, our friendship, our fraternal, fraternal links with the Chinese, and our, and our dire circumstances all play out. And what it is that the finance minister is able to, to draw up. <laughs> Let us, I hope he becomes like a metternich who is able to come up with some diplomatic master strokes uh, in this particular situation. So let's see how it goes. Diplomatic master stroke. Thank you. Let's leave it there for now, Prof. Um, you take good care. Take I, good care. I'll take try. Good care. I'll try. Dr. Lloyd Amwa there. He's director of the Center for Asian Studies at the University of Ghana um, with knowledge on Afro-China relations and just helping us make sense of uh, our campaign in Far Away China, asking them to consider us more as we go to IMF and also as we seek to do a, an external debt uh, restructuring uh, program after having done the domestic one. When we come back, economic crisis... Professor Adair slams Akufuado for excessive borrowing. That's a story on citynewsroom.com. We'll tell you more when we come back. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Nashika Caesar. Let's remain with issues having to do with our economy now. There's a story on citynewsroom.com titled Economic Crisis. Professor Adair slams Akufuado. For excessive borrowing now this is in reference to the former board chair of the ghana revenue authority who is also remembered as rector of gimpa prof you're welcome to eyewitness news thank you we we seldom hear from you atop the mountains of the eastern region where you are enjoying your retirement what forced you to come out and speak about the economy at this crucial time <laughs> but, um... I'm an economist, I teach economics, so I've never, you don't stop being an economist. And also, who really can live in Ghana without being concerned about the economy? <laughs> how, how concerning is it? For us, yeah, we mentioned the numbers, we listen to the politicians talk. You have a better knowledge of this. You've seen our economy over decades. How how bad is it this time around? We've been told it's a worst. Is it is it really true? Um, you know when we talk about the worst, what we're talking in terms of debt sustainability. Yes, we have never been here before, but that doesn't mean that every sector of the economy, education, health, and other things, is worse. But when it so we must be very careful. But when we talk about debt sustainability, we haven't gone that far before. This means then that we have borrowed more than we've ever borrowed in our lifetime as a country. Well, <laughs> if if you go back to the 1960s and in Chroma to today, we have every regime has topped up our debt. In terms of so therefore you could say of every government that they borrowed more than their before. However, it must also be admitted that especially the depend upon how you estimate it, between nine and eleven billion in the first term of Akufuado was on the higher side. And in that sense, the rate if you had learned your mathematics well, I would say that, you know, the second in integration, it would be dy dx, dy2 over dy2, 
two. That means the rate of borrowing, the change in the rate of borrowing has been highest during the first term of Akufuado. That one, there's not nothing that anybody can dispute it. But it has been one of the menace of Ghana that we have borrowed. It's only on the Kufuo where things dipped, very dipped, now dead, because we are forgiving, not because we didn't borrow. <laughs> so we had an external support then, which is lacking this time around. So our, our nakedness yes, comes to bear. We were a least developed country, so we were able to enjoy the hippie. When you become middle income, or you pronounce yourself middle income, if you say you are rich, people treat you like rich. So when you go into debt as a rich man, you pray, you suffer more. <laughs> you referenced Akufado's first term, but what we are seeing now is happening in his second term. Is it that the sins of his first term has come to haunt him in his second term, or the second term also isn't looking good in terms of borrowing? Well, in the second term, he can't borrow much because he's not allowed to. You can't go to the capital market unless this debt restructuring goes through. Even the bilaterals and the private sector will not lend to you. But I think that let me, since you are interviewing me, let me quickly, if you give me only one minute, I think that the crisis we are in today is a culmination of seven factors. Some are fundamental weaknesses in our economy. I'm talking about low productivity, our lack of patriotism. We want to consume what we have not produced from overseas. And on many occasions, we prefer a foreign good to a Ghanaian one. There has been a systematic corruption and waste in our system. Transparency International has pro, 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 Forgive me. So because you mentioned seven, I wish we could list them in that order. So you said the first one is a weakness of the economy. You're attributing no, the, are, the, the first is okay, so the lack of patriotism, okay, which leads to the second one as a result. Oftentimes, we Ghanaians will opt for a foreign good, even if there's an equivalent consumption, so that our import appetite is so high. The third is that, believe me, we, in terms of productivity per labor, we are one of the lowest in the world. And even in Africa, we are at the bottom. In terms of, if you take even a construction, Ghanaian construction worker, we say a Togolese construction worker, the other one does better than us. The fourth has to do with corruption and the waste in the system. On the Mahama, on the Kufuadu, the corruption perception in this has hovered between 40 and 43, and we are in the third uh, bracket of more, if it's the least bracket being the fourth, uh, the first, we are in the third, almost about to hit the bottom fourth. Then, of course, we have the issue of the structure of the economy, which Groma attempted industrialization, we abandoned it, we are now more dependent on raw materials, hewers of stone, and drawers of water. It is on this basis that two things which are more approximate, first has to do with economic management. We have gone to the IMF 17 times because along the way,
we must manage our affairs. And of uh, late, there has been a challenge with expenditure control because if nobody, whether you are a country or a nation, can spend more than you earn consistently without having crisis, and if you attempt to accelerate the development by excessive borrowing, which has occurred, no doubt, under Kufuado's regime, uh, you get yourself into trouble. And then the last straw that broke the camel's back, and you know, there shouldn't be an NDC-NPP war. There was an external, unprecedented, one-in-a-century phenomenon being COVID. And you won't believe it. The last time we had such situation was in 1918, the Spanish flu, and it destroyed, decimated the world economy. The other one, of course, didn't affect as much because European, the plague, and the rest. And, of course, Ukraine. So, it is almost like <laughs> all the chicken coming to roost at the same time. And we have been hit very badly. And I hope we will learn our lesson from this. And we wouldn't place our economy in a situation where any wind of change will blow the economy into such a crisis. I wish we didn't have to politicize this conversation on the economy, but we can't help it because our economy is run by politicians. When the NPP campaigned in 2016, we were assured that they had the team. We were assured that we're not going to go back to IMF. We were sure, assured that they were better managers. Ghanaians decided collectively to kick John Mahama out with one million extra votes because Ghanaians believed that Akufuado was a messiah to come and fix our economic mess. Things have gone down the drains now. In fact, it has gone to rock bottom. Is it the case that our country's economy can simply not be salvaged by anybody at all, or it has to do with the persons who are managing now who have failed at a job? Where do you see the problem coming from, beside the seven points you have listed? Because the government consistently refers to COVID-19 as the reason for the problems we are seeing. Other analysts have said otherwise. The opposition believes things were bad even before COVID. What's your reading of the situation? First of all, let me say that MPP and DC behave like the seven blind men who went to see the elephant. One who sees the wall, uh, the side face like a wall, another one the ear like a fan, another one like a snake, and the rest. The risk only uh, there's half truth with what NDC and MPP are saying. There were definitely internal economic challenges. I've talked about the level of the borrowing, and uh, and so there were external factors. Nobody in his right mind can exclude COVID and Ukraine exacerbating the situation. Neither can anyone deny that the level of borrowing. Uh, was too high. There's the expenditure. I mean, still, I mean, the president will not reduce his cabinet, but definitely the number of people whom he has as his managers of the economy are too excessive, and expenditure reductions are clear. It's a shame that, you know, during the debt, domestic debt exchange, those 
who were campaigning so that individuals should not accept it, came up. And I think that plus or minus, they came out with very strong arguments of how expenditure could be reduced. And for 70% of the cases, I agree with them, the government can manage the economy with less. So what I'm saying is this, is we as an economist and one who is not paid by Kufuado or Mahama, we should be able to inter- make our intervention such that we can learn and avoid the mistakes of yesterday. I would not like to make a pronouncement whether Kufuado's managers of the economy are worse than or better than that of Mahama. I think that we, it, we have, there's a situation which makes comparison like comparing apples and oranges. Both of them took us to IMF. So, of course, I mean, when you are the pride of incoming government but at this moment, when a few don't get here and go talk as if now suddenly they have become gurus. So, <laughs> that's what uh, the MPP was doing before they came to power. But I don't think that the current situation can be explained by the fact that the managers of MDC were uh, better than that of uh, MPP. Because we have other factors. And before we'll be able to do that one, we should be able to distinguish between the level of the contribution that each of the seven factors I mentioned do, which I don't have uh, the ability to do it within this short interview. Prof, it is true that the president or the back stops with, stops with President Akufuado when it comes to how the country is being managed. But he has a number of people who assist him. And at the point, this number included you, your very self, Professor Stephen Adair. You were chairman of the board of the Ghana Revenue Authority, a very critical wing of our, of our economy. Did you at any point advise him against this excessive borrowing that you are blaming him for now, which he ignored? First of all, People in Ghana don't understand. I wasn't part of a Kufuadis government. I was a board chair of uh, GRE. Mine was to correct revenue. And the record is there to see. In 15 months, we made the revenue increase. was, as the politicians would say, unprecedented. Three billion above what the government even budgeted for. So that was my job. I'm not part of his, I wasn't part of his cabinet. If he asked me for economic advice, I would give it. The only thing I was asked about for my, not because I was ERA chairman, was implementation of the, uh, what do you call it, the free SHS. And I gave my opinion as I was giving to any president. When I was chairman of the NDPC, we were to advise the government on long-term strategies, which we did prepare a document of Ghana at uh, 2057. The title was Ghana at 100. Sad to say, 
they were busy about things. The, for the two years I was NDPC chairman, the government didn't give us an audience, despite all our attempts. So <laughs> you can be your advisor when you, you are prepared to take your advice. On NDPC, we didn't meet the government on one day. And actually, to be honest with you, I asked to be relieved of that position because I'm too old to waste my life on just a title. So let it be clear. Mm. There's a difference between being part of the government and being called to do a national service or a specific task. Okay, but, 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 just, to, but just to be clear, you were appointed by President Kufado as board chair of the GRA. Of course, and also as NDPC, the same way as... Uh, but you do not, you do, you did not consider... That. You did not consider yourself a member of the government, even though you were a board chair no, in his no, government. This is where Ghanaians make mistakes. There are those who are looking for political positions to steal money. For me, it's a call to national service. Under the NDC, I was a member of the uh, Ministry of Finance Advisory Board. I under uh, Lawrence. That's when I came to be the chairman, no, no, director of Gimba, and each one of them, you go and see the work I did. That's what you should test me for. Uh, and neither on, on any of the occasions was I a member of government. I don't see it in cabinet. I don't... Uh, there's a difference. People, this is where we have a problem in this nation. And that is why, actually, in many areas, very competent people will refuse even to chair a board. Why? Because you, the generalists and others, will link them to the government. No, it's a, a call to national duty. Okay. But some of us, when we are there, apart from our policy, never receive anything. And as GRA, you can't say that even I've had a bicycle from there to my house. Someone has sent me a message saying that you were part of the advisory board for the Ministry of Finance. Is that true or false? I was a member from the time of, what is this man, uh, our president, Atamels. Atamels appointed me and I remain a member of the advisory board of the Ministry of Finance until a year ago. So but then, this, no, no, wait, wait, wait. But, I know where you are coming from. Okay. That if you are an advisor, it is when they want your views, for example, believe me or not, for 12 months all throughout 2022, the advisory board of the Ministry of Finance was not called, and I resigned because I didn't want to be associated with. Something I have no idea of what they are doing. So, yes, being a member of the advisory board, the advisory board are different from being an advisor. It's a board which the ministers can call you if they want to test an idea so that you can advise on it. If they don't call you, you have no uh, opportunity to do anything. And... Uh, I resigned as a result because I felt that I would not be part of a, a simple penny 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. And um, we'll come back to you again at a later time for further conversations on the economy. Thank you for speaking to us, Prof. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I hope that, that the, uh, as a country, we will overcome this. We will learn our lessons and we will have a sustainable development. We can only pray. We can only pray. Thank you. That's Professor Stephen Ade. He's uh, immediate past board chair of the Ghana Revenue Authority. He was also rector of Gimpa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We'll be back to talk about the KTR market. It's still in the news. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Yeah, welcome back. Let's now do some other stories. Traders at the new KGTR market are calling for the dismissal of the managing director of the facility and the board chair following the recent fire incident. The part of the market that was not affected by the fire outbreak has now been reopened for business following the announcement by the vice president, Dr. Mahamudu Baumia. Although the decision to reopen the market brought joy to the traders, the leadership of the Combined Traders Association are calling for the dismissal of the managing director of the new KGTR market and the board chairman of the facility who doubles as the Kumasi mayor, Samuel Pine. The traders are blaming them for not addressing some structural integrity issues they had raised over the years. Ruben Ame is the general secretary of the Combined Traders Association. The managing director and the board chairman should go because they supervise this mess. Suffice to say that, okay, the fire was caused by a trader. Accepted. Fine, let's talk about that if that was caused. Before the trader caused that fire, the marine knew about it. They should have known about it. They have CCTV cameras around, they have security personnel around, they have a safety team around who should be going on every day to inspect. Really, to be frank, when we were giving the shop, we were giving a letting out policy. Management has a right to walk to my shop this morning, tell me they want to do an inspection. They have that right. And we signed to that letting out policy. They have to walk into my shop, do whatever inspection they need to inspect. Whatever thing I'm not supposed to have in my shop, they take it out. They have that right. Have they ever done that? It's a no. Now, now that they've not done that, the fire came. The fire, I made the fire. It was in only one shop. If you had responded to the fire as early as possible, in that effective manner that you are supposed to respond to the fire, you wouldn't have gotten over 54 shops burnt. After all, we've had fire in this market, where it was only one shop. The response at that time was so quick that it's only remained in that particular shop. It didn't spread to other places. But for now, for this one, this is management sat down. They didn't care about anything. And then here we are. So the managing director and the board chairman should go. They were elected long ago. Number two, for compensation for our affected traders, we will demand for that. If they don't give it to us, they should prepare for a class action. We will go the full hole with that. Number three, every rules and regulations that we are supposed to implement in KJT are here. Once we've all discussed and accepted it, should be implemented to the latter. No discrimination. No, this person is my friend. This person is my sister. This person is my uncle. This person is this. No. Let's implement it. If I'm not supposed to use candle in my shop, it shouldn't be because I am the general secretary. I have to use it. No. If you go to my shop now, I will not use what I'm not supposed to use. The fact that I'm the general secretary, yes, I have a leeway to do what I want to do. Ruben Amer is the General Secretary of the Combined Traders Association. 
Away from that, the NDC campaign manager for the 2020 general elections, Professor Joshua Alabi, is urging delegates to give former President John Dramani Mahama over 99% endorsement to become the flag bearer of the party. Professor Joshua Alabi, together with some party bigwigs, filed a nomination form on behalf of John Mahama today. Speaking to the media after the exercise, Professor Joshua Alabi stressed that delegates must give the former president the not to lead the NDC into the 2024 elections. The incoming president of the Republic of Ghana comes 7 January 2025. Like we said some time ago, the voter region, this campaign is your this campaign is our campaign. This campaign is my campaign. Yes. And I know, together with us, we shall go around the length and breadth of this country to talk to our people. Even with 51%, he has won. 60%, he has won. 70% he has won, 80%, 90% he has won, but we want 99.999% to send a song stringer to our opponents that our party is firmly united behind His Excellency John Dramani Mahama. Yes. 2024 is not going to be very easy. Around the whole country, what the people say is very simple. The NDC is coming back. They say the NDC is coming back. But you know, when something belongs to you and you don't protect it, the thief will come for it. So we are not going to sleep, even though the general belief is that the end is coming back. We are going to work with you. We are going to work with all the organs to make sure that the next election will give the party a one-touch victory. We are very confident by about 2 a.m. that day, NDC will tell you the results. We are working hard behind the scenes to make sure that our coalition system is very robust. And come that day, don't be surprised if by 12 midnight or 1 a.m. you see us on television telling you go out and jubilate. We are not prepared to cheat any party. And they say vain, we are not ready for any party Cheaters. We are also sending a strong signal to the EEC Electoral Commission that the essence of multi-party democracy is to give the people the best. In a situation where you portray as if you are giving an advantage to a particular party, then we'll get the type of performance we have today. When the party believes that, or a, or a candidate believes that, he has 
the referee in the pocket. Then he will just give the people anything. And that's what we have today. So the Electoral Commission has a role to play in ensuring that we move from this bad economic situation to a more stable economic situation. And that is to give a fair playing field to all parties. We are sure that when it is very fair, NDC will win hands down. Yes. We are not only going to win hands down, but by one year, we'll be sure of our results. We entreat all of you to pray for the Flabberest team as we move around the whole country. You continue to pray for us. We need the prayers. And we know at the end of it, when we get to the Flagstaff House, our first assignment is to halt the declining trend of the economy, stabilize it, and move it to growth. You have the NDC campaign manager for the 2020 general elections, Professor Joshua Alabi. Away from that, the National Communication Authority says it will begin deactivating SIM cards which have not completed Stage 2 of the SIM card re-registration process beginning April 1, 2023. This follows an agreement reached with the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications to extend the initial deadline from March 10 to March 31. Speaking to City News, the Deputy Communications Director of the NCA, Kwame Jan, said SIM card users will have their numbers reinstated once they begin the State 2 processes. Daniel, let's, let's take it again. Yeah. So, um, um, a few things. One is, and, 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 and uh, if you're more direct with the questions, um, so one will be about um, why we are extending the, the, the deadline to the 31st of this month. Yeah. And the second one will be uh, what numbers do we have for the registration so far? Yes. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go on. So on, uh, on the issue of extensions, um, we um, we had uh, communicated to the public that we're going to cut off those who have done stage, uh, stage one, but not stage two of the registrations by the 10th of, of March. We have got a request from the chamber, who of course, as you know, represents the telcos, who said that they, they, they wish we could extend that deadline by a couple of weeks, so uh, well, the, the NCA decided to adhere to that request from the chamber. And so, effective 31st of March, if you've done stage one registration but not done stage two, that means that you have your Ghana card and you've done stage one but not stage two. The the, the MNOs have been asked to deactivate your line from the networks because of the fact that you have not done stage two or the registration. So, that has been moved from the 10th uh, of, of March to now 31st of March this year. So, effective 1st April. We should be seeing those who have done stage one, but not stage two, having their lines. As of March 15th, we had done about 34, uh, 34 million 672488 uh, uh, stage registration, which represents 86.19% uh, of the total that we have. So, mind you, we are we are we are we have an estimated 40.2 million SIM cards on 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 our networks, and that's of that number. 86.19% of that have, have done stage one of the registrations. Now, also that same number, so remember I mentioned the fact that those who have done stage one but no stage two will be disconnected. We have our 5.5 of that number who, who haven't done stage two yet. That's about 13.8% of that number. So it is this group of people that we are seeing that because they have their Ghana cards with them, obviously. So they should register 
by the end of this month, or do do end up losing their number? So that's the number we're currently as of now. Kwame Jan is the Deputy Communications Director of the National Communication Authority. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every market movement and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. It's time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Siza. The details. The president of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, Dr. Joseph Obin, has disclosed that his outfit is in talks with some insurance companies to provide affordable insurance policies for their members across the country. Dr. Obin was speaking on the back of the recent fire incident that occurred at the KJTR market that resulted in the destruction of goods worth millions of cities. The Guta president further reiterated the importance for traders to ensure their businesses in order to have some form of cushioning in the event of accidents such as the fire which happened at the KJTR market. He's been speaking to City Business News. We also take this opportunity to advise the traders to be careful because when these things happen, it affects us. It doesn't affect anybody. People will come and console us, promise us and all that. But we feel the heat the most. So we have to be careful the way we do things in the market. It's very important. And then also we have to be conscious of the fact that we have to safeguard the interest of our properties by way of paying insurance. And the premium, you pay some negligible amount and then when there's a problem, you are saved by that. And we should also learn that. And this is the area that we are pursuing with um, some insurance companies. We come out with memorandum of understanding in that regard to make sure that premiums are affordable and uh, at the same time the fear of the trading community that when there's a uh, time for claim these insurance companies do not want to fulfill their part will be the turn of the past. Dr. Joseph Obain is the National President of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, GUTA. Moving on, a former board chair of the Ghana Revenue Authority, GRA, Professor Stephen Adey, is blaming the government for engaging in excessive borrowing that has landed the country into the current economic crisis. According to Professor Adey, although the emergence of COVID-19 and the Russian-Ukraine war may have affected Ghana's economy, the fundamental mistake the government made was borrowing beyond its capacity to pay back. In an interview with City Business News, Professor Stephen Adey urged the government to accept responsibility for the current state of the economy. He also wants Ghanaians to strictly hold government officials accountable to prevent a similar situation in the future. In other news, players within the financial space say they are considering other alternative investment avenues other than government bonds. This comes on the back of the recent domestic debt exchange program implemented by the government. Speaking on the sidelines of a business breakfast meeting organized by Graphic and Standbeck Bank, the managing director of the Standbeck Investment Management Services, Kwabena Bwama, said the call has become necessary, particularly due to the impact of of the DDEP on the banking sector. These trends will definitely uh, 
boost a recovery and, and help re-kick the secondary market activities. And once that happens, we should see uh, some normalization in terms of our trading, uh, in terms of access to liquidity on the bond side. So you have the bonds and then you have the treasury bills. I mean, so for, for the bonds, I mean, it's very clear that the secondary market is dead now because there are no returns that we will, we will see coming from from those areas. But the Treasury bill, the government is still paying um, and honoring its obligations in that area. Now it calls for diversification, and that's very critical. We can't afford to over-invest or over-rely on investment in the government space in terms of the government bonds. So across the investment industry, there's a lot of conversation around diversification. What alternative investment can we put our client funds in beyond um, government of Ghana? And we're looking at private equity, we're looking at real estate investment trust, we're looking at money market investments, and then other investment options uh, that we can put client funds in. Kwabin Abwama is the managing director of Stanbeck Investment Management Services. Finally, advocacy group Women and Mining Ghana is pushing for equity instead of equality to encourage greater participation of women in the sector. The group argues that women will continue to face significant obstacles in their professional lives despite being given equal treatment as their male counterparts due to the numerous psychological, social, economic and other challenges they face. Esther Bwache, a member of the group, emphasized that while the mining sector has made progress in pro- promoting equity, equality, more must be done to support women's progress in male-dominated industries. She made these remarks during an interview with City Business News on the sidelines of a policy dialogue event organized by the Center for Public Interest Law aimed at influencing stronger legal protection for women in the cocoa and gold value chains in terms of economic opportunities, human rights and environmental protection. If equity is not introduced where we understand that the woman and the man are different, there are physiological changes or differences in the woman compared to the man. And so if women are continuously placed on the same level as men, it creates challenges. However, if we begin to introduce and incorporate equity, in the way the workplace is presented, then the woman is more comfortable and is able to deliver. Because you also realize that between the man and the woman, the woman would always have to work extra hard to be on that equal level with man. And so we are saying that as much as we are making the policies and we are making considerations, It should be equitable, not equal, but equitable. Make a conscious effort to raise the platform of the woman to a level where they can now be equal to the man. Esther Bwaji is a member of the Women in Mine in Ghana. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Siza. Up next is Point Blank. Thank you.
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. On Point Blank tonight, we are focusing on two issues. One, in the Volta region, Western Togoland, the person, some of the persons have been convicted and sentenced by a court in Accra. We'll talk about that. But before then, Nana Rudan Kwakufado, the president, has filled some vacancies at the Electoral Commission. He made three nominations. So when he... So they are board members of the EC and he swore them in last night. And he said they should not allow themselves to be intimidated by any political parties. There's a fallout to that because the NDC says that the uh, three persons are all pro-MPP people. Let's listen to the president first and then hear from the NDC. You have come into office some 21 months of the holding of the 2024 elections. And at a time where our country seeks to entrench her credentials as the beacon of democracy in Africa. It is the quality of your work that will reassure the Ghanaian people that the democratic system of government that they have chosen for their governance will be properly nurtured by an electoral system that allows their voice to be plainly and loudly heard. It is no secret but I have spent most of my adult life fighting for the establishment of democracy and human rights in this country. And I've always fought for and advocated for a credible electoral process in Ghana. In emphasizing the importance and credibility of elections, it must be pointed out that the count, the collation, the declaration of results cannot and should not be more important than the sacred God-given right of a citizen casting his or her ballot. So that's President Anadudan Kwakufuado. Let's now get a reaction to this. Um, a former national organizer of the NDC who is MP for Buem, the Honorable Kofi Adams, says there's a problem with the nominations or appointment by the president. Mr. Adams, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening, Sandra, and thank you for the opportunity. What's the problem with the persons who have been appointed by the president? Well, some that there is every problem about the appointments of 
His Excellency Nana Adodankwa Kufuado to the Electoral Commission of Ghana. Never has the Electoral Commission been turned so partisan than had happened in this current administration. Right from the processes leading to the removal of Madame Charlotte Osei and her colleagues, through to the appointment of the Gimensa and others, and the additions that have happened today. This president, and by extension his government and party, have worked to destroy this independent institution that have so been respected by all other former presidents that we've had in this country, from President Rawlings through President Kufo to late President Mills and His Excellency also John Dramani Mahama. All of them have worked to maintain the sanctity of this very great institution of ours. But it doesn't seem so under His Excellency Nanado Dankwa Kufuado. It is more like they are not satisfied with the number of party apparatchikis that they have passed at the Jubilee House and Presidency. They want to extend it to every single state institution, including those that constitutionally are expected to be very independent, to be non-partisan, and to be above board. From Jemensa, who we all know to be sympathetic towards the course of the MPP, to Dr. Bosman, which, vice, which we can't prove, right? A vice uh, chairman of the commission who was a TESCON member and an activist of MPP, and who we have all witnessed his continuous verdict and comment against the NDC, clearly showing his dislike for the continuous existence and strength of the NDC because it threatens his MPP, that he will publicly, even as the vice chair of electoral commission, state that the NDC is an existential threat to the democracy of Ghana, a party that has won four elections, produced three presidents who have worked so hard to advance the cause of democracy in this country, a party that today, as we speak, has the same number of seats at peace with the party in government. The difference that has made the majority and the minority side is the independent member of parliament who decided to caucus with them. To now move further in the situation we find ourselves, to appoint another TESCOM member and patron onto the Electoral Commission uh, 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 board is a clear indication that our president and possibly by extension, the Council of State that is supposed to be advising him on such appointments have failed this country and must bow their heads in shame that if they allow, if allow such persons with such backgrounds to be passed, to be members of an institution such as the Electoral Commission, I think that the uh, Council of State is actually failing us. And they must not sit and wait for things to happen before they attempt to rally around to be engaging in various bodies. 
they are supposed to be preempting such things. They have failed us on this occasion. I am disappointed, not just in the president, but I'm also disappointed in the Council of State that passed this appointment because they have a role to play in the appointments of members to the Electoral Commission and other such bodies as NCC and so on and so forth. So the three nominees, and let me just say that the three persons, no nominees, the persons who have been appointed, Dr. Peter Apiahini, Salima Ahmed Tijani, and Reverend Ikeo Foribuatin, you have a problem with two of them, not all of them. Well, I have only cited even one. That is, that would, that would be who? Dr. Peter uh, Apiahini. He was a Tescon executive, you say? Tescon member and patron, not just an executive, patron. And to rise to the position of a patron means that you are you are an in-in person to be able to be, be, be considered a patron of such a vital organ of a party like Tescom should mean that you are you, you are a deep person. Indeed, this is one person who had been considered in the second term of the MPP administration for appointment as a Bono regional minister for his contribution towards the party's fortunes. When he did not secure that, today he's been rewarded with an appointment to a commission like the Electoral Commission, an institution that is supposed to be an arbiter of our elections. Is this part of the breaking the age? Of course, persons have given indication about the other two uh, ladies who have been added to the gentleman that I mentioned, Reverend Ikria uh, Boatin. Uh, I do not know the details of her party affiliations, but persons have raised concerns that she affiliates and run a program. For me, running a program alone is not enough. But if you consider the appointment of Dr. Bosman, and his behavior, the appointment of Madame de Mensa and her behavior, and now Dr. Peter Apiahini, uh, uh, and knowing all these persons, I may not be surprised about the concentration of others. The only person now in there that you can vouch for the person's uh, non-partisan nature is Mr. Tete, who had been with the commission, has risen through the ranks, from the office through the district levels to regional to director of electoral services and today being a deputy chair. For the remaining ones, you cannot vouch for their uh, 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 non-partisan uh, nature. And it's a concern. So you can't, trust, you can't trust six of the seven commissioners? Clearly, it, it's a concern for, 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 for all of us. And Omar, you must be concerned as a Ghanaian. That an institution that is supposed to be an arbiter of elections will have persons that clearly are affiliates of one political party. That who have set out that for them, they think only about elections and not about the well-being of the people of this country. They don't think about the next time. They are not concerned about the lack of vaccines for the child that is born today. 
they are much more concerned about making money available for purposes of elections. You must be worried that such a government and the president from such a party would be making the kind of appointments that they are making. If this is part of the agenda of breaking it, that I can assure them. The situation Ghanaians find themselves today, they will not tolerate any such uh, schemes. But once again, I must say, I am very much disappointed in the Council of State. I, I still had some hope that the Council of State could live up to expectations. But they have disappointed me for passing these nominations leading to their swearing in. Okay, we, we, we will be following this story and try and possibly ask questions of the appointees or the appointor. Uh, that's the president's spokespersons to see if they can give us answers on the political affiliations of these persons. But another issue that would come up is, is political. Even the chairperson of the electoral commission, does that take away their Ghanaianness? So this gentleman, the fact that he was once a Tescon member and a Tescon patron, doesn't take away the fact that he's Ghanaian and he's qualified for the job, isn't he? Sander, that is why I did not talk about they being apolitical. You can be political, I do not care. You can be uh, possibly political and play some rules that is not open. But for someone who has played such open rules, clear open rules, you see, we must always be measured with the status of this process. Ask yourself, Dr. Kujua Farajan, it was so difficult to tell maybe his political affiliations after we entered into the fourth Republican constitution. He topped it up, as he himself said, by not voting, even though he may be uh, uh, a politically active person in order not to suggest any inclination that he likes A or B, he, he chose on his own pollution not to even vote. We have lived with that tradition. We cannot say same today that if you bring me a TESCOM patron or a TESCOM member or an MPP member active and known, publicly known, and to tell me that, oh, he can still play his role in, in a fair manner, I would, I would never be satisfied. And it's shown already that Dr. Bosman has not removed his MPP clothing even as a deputy chair of the Electoral Commission. And I repeat, his comment against the NDC is one such indication. Their attitude, their behavior towards the NDC is a clear indication that they have not been able to remove their MPP colors even as commissioners. I don't see how this one We'll do same. Okay. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's uh, Honorable Kofi Adams. He's a member of parliament for Boehm, former national organizer of the NDC. When we hear from the, or we get confirmation from the Jubilee House for an interview on uh, the idea behind the appointment and this particular issue of the political uh, side of the one of the appointees, would uh, share that with you. For now, though, let's go to the. Uh,
northern, well, the southern part of the eastern corridor, the Volta region. We do recall the story of the western Togoland. Members of the Western Togoland Separatist Group have been jailed five years each. The five persons were convicted and uh, sentenced in connection with the activities of the Western Togoland Foundation Group, and they have been given the maximum sentence of five years each in prison with hard labor. And they were also five. Let's speak to Benjamin Aklama. He's a correspondent in the Volta region, has been following this story. Uh, to share more with us. Ben, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Give us a backstory quickly for those who have forgotten what may have transpired about these gentlemen who have now been sent to jail. So these uh, gentlemen who have uh, now been sent to jail uh, are part, originally part of an organization or a group called the Homeland Study Group. Now, this study group, uh, I'm not sure when exactly it was founded, but its activities in the Volta region date as far back as uh, late 90s uh, into the 2000s. And there was actually time when uh, their leader, uh, the late uh, Komikujoji, the one they clearly uh, referred to as Apavi Obedato, had a segment on uh, the state broadcaster Volta Star Radio in Ho, where he taught what he, he knew uh, is the anthropology of the Volta region and the history of the people of the Volta region. And was very emphatic in uh, announcing that the, a certain part of Ghana did not belong to Ghana as we have it now, after some 50 years of a plebiscite that was signed way back in history. And he took time to mobilize young people uh, and train them in what he knows to be the, the right origin of the people and what they should be doing after what he calls uh, the expiration of the plebiscite, which, uh, according to him, should last only for 50 years, after which the people in a certain part of the country that stretches from within the Volta region here all the way into the Bono region uh, would now have to decide after 50 years whether they still wanted to belong to Ghana as we currently have it, or join Togo, or stay independent as an independent country. The activities were along the way outlawed, and the group was equally outlawed, and seen as a group that threatened the unity of the country. Uh, a certain part of the Homeland Study Group now thought that they wanted to get radical and demand their independence, while the late Kamekujoji, who was the leader of uh, the group, the original group, thought that they should wait and get independence at the nearest possible time. Uh, and so there was uh, a splitter group, uh, two splitter groups that came out of uh, the Homeland Study Group. Our understanding is that one of these uh, two splitter groups now went to uh, demonstrate their sufficient interests or activities or intentions at Tefle, uh, near Sugakofe and Abeime, uh, where in Tefle they blocked the road. Uh, Passing of the Volta region from the Greater Akai region around that area between Adan and Sudakofe and Tefle, exactly. And also going to the Mefe and Adaime police stations and torturing police officers, uh, freeing peasants who were in police custody, and also making away with some weapons belonging to the police, as well as 
even going on rampage with police vehicles. Shortly after that, another group, which is also a splitter group from the Homeland Security Group, set ablaze an STC bus in Hu, uh, the regional capital, in a bid to register their, their sufficient interest. Shortly after that, another group from the same uh, Homeland Security Group went to hoist the homeland, uh, the Western Togoland flag, which they have designed and which we all know for them, at uh, the premises of the Volta Regional Coordinating Council uh, in a bid to say, I mean, because their flags are flying there, they, they possibly are claiming the, the facility to themselves as part of uh, their, their hmm. so, so these are the issues that culminated in, in the court case and now these people have been sentenced. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for speaking to us. Benjamin Aklama is our correspondent in the Volta region. So if you want more of the stories on citynewsroom.com. But that would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. I did this with Nashika Caesar. Production by Beverly London and Kobna Wilson. Technical support from Daniels. Edwin Kwakofi not he handled the new media side of things for us. Thank you. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.